0: Thank you for jumping in with us. Uh, I was thinking this week that you might be feeling some guilt in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic in the middle of quarantine. Here's what I mean. Some of you parents, you were trying to figure out at-home learning and you have mom guilt or you have dad guilt and you have that feeling like, I'm pretty sure we're ruining our kids right now, right? As you're, as you're navigating that, you you're have moments where you feel like you're being too harsh and you feel guilty about that. Or, or on the other hand, you might have moments where you feel like, like you're being too lenient and you feel guilty about that. You have moments where you feel like I don't do enough for my children, or you feel guilty because I'm doing too much for them. They're, they're getting spoiled. And you have that kind of wrestling match inside of you about mom guilt, or dad guilt, especially in the midst of at-home learning. You might have work guilt where you feel like I could be doing more, like I'm not working at the capacity that I was before, and you feel guilty. Or you've just had your hours cut back and you're not working as much, and it creates a, a weird guilt feeling inside of you or you're not having to commute, you're working from home. And so you get to sleep a little bit longer, but then you kind of feel bad about sleeping longer. It's like you have guilt about that. Maybe you've had to lay somebody off. Maybe you're a business owner or a manager and your business has struggled. The economy's down and you've had to let somebody go. And it was, it was hard, it, it made you feel guilty. We could have guilt around comparison, right? You go on social media and you see what all these people are doing and then you feel like you're not doing enough and you feel guilty about that. It could be life disciplines, like I'm I'm typically more uh, disciplined in my eating, but I'm just eating my emotions in the midst of quarantine and then you feel guilty about that. Or it could be good old fashioned sin guilt and the isolation and the loneliness of quarantine, you've fallen into temptation or you've fallen back into an old habit that you thought for sure you had kicked and you were done with. You can have Sin guilt, it could be the sin of just, I, I was, I've been so frustrated and kind of moody and angry, and so I've lashed out at somebody, or I lost my temper and I've hurt somebody and I feel guilty about that. You see, guilt is something that we all deal with and it drives us more than we would like to admit. Guilt, by definition, is doing something wrong and feeling as though you deserve blame. It's like you, you know there's an ideal way to live, but then you fail to live up to it and you know that you've missed the mark. You feel guilty about it. And that guilt just eats at us, right? It, it begins to weigh us down. You can see it kind of darkens our countenance. It makes us uneasy. We, um. We have bad dreams about it because our consciences won't let us be. Our peace is diminished. Guilt is a problem. And I wanna ask you, how do you deal with your guilt? I'm just curious. Are are you someone who maybe just kind of stuffs it down and you just try to pretend like it's not there and you just kind of turn on the TV or scroll through your phone and try to forget about it? Or maybe you're the kind of person that you kind of ramp up and you try to do things to make up for it. And so you, you start doing all these things, these projects or these good works or these religious activities and you're trying to make up for the fact that you feel guilty. Or, Maybe you're one of the people that just kind of lets yourself off the hook and you, you kind of begin to explain it away with lame philosophies of like, there's no right and there's no wrong, really. It's all subjective. And so I wasn't really wrong. But the problem is that your guilt doesn't go away when you explain it away. What do you do with your guilt and how do you process it? Today, I wanna talk about guilt and forgiveness. Because there's a victory that our God has opened up for you, our good and faithful father. He's opened it up for you through the empty tomb of our resurrected savior. And it has to do with your guilt. We're in a series right now called Empty and Open. what we're doing is spending this uh, season of life as a church just talking about what the resurrection means for us just kind of unpacking with greater uh, with greater uh, intensity what the central claim of Christianity the resurrection, means. And so I'm glad that you've joined us today. We're going to be reading in Acts chapter 17. If you want to go there with me, if you have a copy of the scriptures or have an app on your phone, uh, we're going to try to get this on the bottom of the screen for you as well so that you can just sort of read along with me. But I want to kind of tell you what's happening in the story. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in his second missionary journey. And this is where he's kind of taking that commission that Jesus gave and he's going and marching from place to place to place and just telling people what has happened, telling people about Jesus, the fact that he's risen from the grave. He's sharing the good news, the gospel. And that journey has taken him to the city of Athens. And Athens, Greece is a place that's full of idols. I mean, he sees shrines everywhere and idols everywhere and it burdens Paul. He's troubled. He, He wants the people to know about this true God. And so he begins to share with them. And then as he's sharing with people, he gets invited into this place called Mars Hill. And he's going to address a whole group of people that all they do all day is sit around and talk about Ideas, and they wanna hear this idea that Paul's bringing. That's where we pick it up in the story. In Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 31, it reads, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which it was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring." Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Verse 30, catch this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul speaking to the people of Athens and these people are clearly dealing with their guilt by the worship of idols through rituals and shrines. And Paul is speaking to these people and he's telling them about this unknown God, because as Paul has walked through and seen the altar, he found one that said to an unknown God. Now there's a whole story behind that. 600 years before Paul is sharing here at Mars Hill, there was a plague like coronavirus that had swept through Athens. And the people were sick. Many people were dying. And there was a man by the, man, by the name of Epimenides. And he had an idea. His idea was to allow a flock of sheep to, to release them out into the city and wherever they would lay down, If they would lay down near a shrine or an idol, they would sacrifice the sheep to that particular God because they they weren't sure what was causing the plague. And they thought, well, maybe there's a God that's angry with us. If you know anything about the Greek gods, they were very moody and unpredictable gods. And so they would sacrifice to these gods. But then sometimes the sheep would lay down and there was no shrine nearby, no idol nearby. And they would sacrifice the sheep right there. And they would build a new shrine to an unknown God. Later, when Paul quotes the poets, guess who he's quoting? Epaminetis, the man who had the altars built to the unknown God. And as Paul sees those altars, he sees an opportunity to make known to them this God that had been unknown. Paul tells them that this God, he's not like these ones that can be created, like a shrine that can be built. This God is the creator and he does not fit in a shrine. He's too big for that. He's he's the source of all things. He gives life and breath and all things to everyone, including you and me. That this God made everything and everyone and from one nationality and one, I'm sorry, one man, he creates all the nationalities of the earth. Talking about Adam to Noah to all all the people that have spread over the planet. And he says that that this was for a purpose, that God determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live so that they would reach out for him and find him. He's a God who creates a God of all power, but he uses his power for relationships. God has appointed that you and I would live in 2020 in the middle of a plague called coronavirus. And he's done so, so that we would reach out for him and find him. Paul tells them this God, he's not some idol made out of silver or or gold or stone. He's the real thing. He's not a God that we can make, which means he's not a God that we could manipulate. He's not a God that we could manage. And he's not a God that we can placate with rituals. And then Paul draws them in to a response and it hinges on what we're talking about as a church. It hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. In verse 30 through 31, look back with me again. He says, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, meaning look, you didn't know about this God. He was unknown to you. God's overlooked that, but look, now I'm telling you, I'm proclaiming to you who this God is. And once I tell you this, the balls in your court and a response is gonna be needed. Oh, and by the way, there's a shot clock ticking. He tells them, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him, from the dead. Now, my first point for you is what I think Paul is saying here it's that the empty tomb means that Jesus is coming to judge. Whoa. Okay. I'm just putting myself in the shoes of the people of Athens who are hearing this uh, for the first time. And Paul's come to share the good news about Jesus, but it's sounding like bad news. I mean, it's like fire and brimstone in judgment. Jesus is coming to judge. He's proven it by his resurrection. And when it comes to our guilt, oh, that's bad news. Because the problem of our guilt is not just that we feel guilty. The problem with our guilt is that we really are guilty. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. You and I, we're guilty. And that's a problem if there's a day set in a judge appointed but there's some silver lining in this here's the silver lining you know the verdict before you stand before the judge on the appointed day here's what I mean Imagine on March 1st, someone told you there's a coronavirus epidemic coming and it's gonna cause the, the economy to go down. The stock market is going to plummet and you need to take those investments and do something else with them right now. That advanced knowledge could have saved some of you thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, had you had advanced knowledge, you could have made a change. Paul is giving us advanced knowledge, right? He tells us that the empty tomb means that Jesus is coming to judge and we already know the verdict and it's true. You and I, we've done things that are absolutely wrong. We've, we've failed to live up to God's standard when he said not to lust. We lusted when he said to live in sexual purity. We did not live in sexual purity. When he said to use our words to encourage and to uplift and to honor him and to honor people, we've used our words to gossip and to cut people down and to backbite and to share false testimonies. I mean, we have gossiped. We've hated, we've murdered in our hearts, according to Jesus. We've withheld forgiveness to people that wronged us when we've been wronging God our whole lives. We're guilty, we know the verdict. But imagine that you received a letter from the IRS and it looks ominous, and you go to the mailbox, and you take it out, and your heart is starting to kind of be a little bit harder. You nervously open the letter, and you're hoping that it was a refund, but unfortunately, it's not. It's quite the opposite. It turns out that there's been a discrepancy, and it wasn't just last year's tax return, but it turns out it was all of the tax returns from your entire working life and when all of those fees are added together, plus the penalties, it's millions and millions of dollars. It's more than you could ever afford. The price is too high and you see the due date and you think there's no way I can pay for this. What do we do? with that because the reality is that our sins, not just something that we did today or last week, but something that we've been doing our whole lives. And if we were to add all those up and stand before a righteous, holy God, we're in trouble. So what do we do with our guilt? And what do we do with a debt that we can't afford? to pay well the second thing that Paul shows us and this is good news for us is that the the open tomb opened up another way the open tomb that empty tomb that was opened up means that forgiveness is possible. And when Paul is speaking to people who knew ritual and they knew religion, and he wants to point them to this God that they don't know about, that's been unknown to them, he doesn't point them to a new ritual. He points them to repentance. That word repent means to change one's mind. It's to think differently. It's to reconsider, it's to turn in contrition from sin to God. Paul tells people who knew ritual about another way that had been opened up through that empty tomb, and it's the way of repentance. And here's the beautiful thing about repentance repentance is relational, it's when you, in your heart, in the truest part of your heart, humble yourself and you turn from doing life on your own terms, living the way that you think life should be lived. And you humble yourself and you turn your heart to the heart of your father who loves you and you throw yourself upon his mercy and say, God, I've been wrong. I, I've i thought that I should live life my way, but now I know, God, I, I, I need to live life your way, that you are right, and I've been wrong. And we, we, we return to relationship. Repentance is relational, and that open tomb has opened up a new way. Aren't you glad that Paul doesn't give us a new ritual, but that he gives us relationship? But how in the world does that help us resolve our guilt? Well, you need to understand the Old Testament because God did give a ritual back then. It was a, a thing called a guilt offering. And a person like you or me that had guilt in their life, they would take an unblemished animal, like a lamb or a goat. They would bring it to the priest. If they couldn't afford that, they could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. If they couldn't afford that, they could bring two um, quarts of flour and they would bring that before the priest. And that priest would take the animal and he would kill it. I just imagine that. It's such a visceral experience to see an animal that you've been raising up die because of the guilt of your sin. And through that act, the sprinkling of the blood, there would be forgiveness of sins. A person could walk out of the temple feeling a little bit lighter, like my guilt has been dealt with, my conscience can be clear, my sins are are atoned for. The only problem was that you could walk right out of that temple and fall right back in to sin. And you gotta do the ritual over and over again. It worked for a moment, but it didn't work. So God, had one more ritual in mind. This time, the sacrifice wasn't brought by a guilty sinner. It was brought by God Himself. God sent not an animal, not a, a lamb from the herd or a goat from the herd. It wasn't pigeons or turtle doves or quarts of flour. God sent His own Son, the second person of the Trinity. God sacrificed God, wrap your mind around that. John the Baptist saw Jesus one day. He exclaimed, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb and he lived a life perfectly that you and I have failed to live. So that he could be unblemished. And the priest played right into God's plan. They hated Jesus. They wanted to condemn Jesus. And they got him crucified. Blood was shed, it was gruesome. And Jesus died on that cross so that forgiveness of sins could be possible, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave to open up a new way called repentance. I want you to know this, that Jesus' sacrifice is enough. It's not like the Old Testament where you could have a a sacrifice and then you'd fall back into sin and have to make another sacrifice. It's like, this was a once for all thing. It was the last ritual, one final ritual to open up a new way of repentance. And Jesus has done it on your behalf and on my behalf, which means that the sin you committed yesterday and the sin you committed 20 years ago, the sin that you might commit tomorrow or later in your life has already been paid for all sins past present and future for all people everywhere who would turn to Jesus it's phenomenal it's phenomenal what does that mean for you what does it mean for me. Well, here's what it means. There's a way for you to come out from that cloud of guilt. There's a way to have your conscience cleared. It means you don't have to stuff it down anymore and pretend like it doesn't exist, right? You don't have to gear up and try to make up for it and kind of work and do all your good works and your religious activities to make up for your sin anymore, It means that you don't have to explain it away with lame philosophies that have no power to actually cleanse your conscience. There's a way to come out from under the cloud of guilt. And my last point is this. The empty tomb has opened the victory of forgiveness secured. I'll say it again. The empty tomb has opened the victory of forgiveness secured because that Romans 3.23 has another part. It says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. In verse 24, and they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus that Jesus has secured forgiveness for you in the empty tune is proof of that. The judge who's coming took that sentence upon himself, stepping down from his lofty seat and bearing the, the cuffs and the chains of sin that you and I have lived in, and he paid for them all so that we could have the victory of forgiveness secured. Jesus broke out of a grave secured by Roman guards to secure your forgiveness. He sealed our victory when he rolled aside the stone that had the Roman seal upon it. The tomb is empty. The way is opened, but that victory is not yours until you enter into it by repentance. It's open, but you have to enter it. Some of you are listening to this and you would not call yourself a believer in Christ. Maybe you're investigating Jesus. I just wanna say thank you for listening today. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to consider what I'm telling you because maybe like the people of Athens, you have tried to deal with your guilty conscience and you've tried all kinds of things and nothing has worked. I wanna tell you there's a way for you to actually have a clear conscience. It's a way that Jesus opened up for you. It's the way of repentance, but you have to decide. I wanna urge you with all the energy in my bones that you would decide today to turn from doing life on your terms to doing life the way that God Ordain ordained, to, to humble yourself, to turn in relationship, to, to throw yourself upon the mercies of your father and to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior. I want to urge you today to make that decision. Some of you are listening to this and you're believers in Christ. You've, maybe you've been a believer for a short while or a long while. But if you're honest, there might be some parts of you that you're not surrendering to Jesus. You've, you've kept some things back, things that you kind of wanted to hang on to. And the word for you today is the same word. It's if there's any place in you that is not surrendered, let today be the day that you make a decision to surrender, to repent, to turn, the, full, uh, the fullness of your heart to Jesus. I wanna call you to repent and turn back again. Believers, here's what I wanna say to you. I wanna tell you, come out from that cloud of condemnation. Come back into the full light of the finished forgiving work of Jesus apply that cross and that resurrection to all the parts of your heart and mind. Wherever that guilty conscience has remained, I wanna tell you that you need to take that back to the cross of Jesus, that you need to let him wash you clean and know that his his sacrifice is sufficient. Jesus is enough for you. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do. I think it's gonna help you. I want you to to take Romans eight, one and two. I want you to tattoo it on your heart this week. We're gonna share it online, social media. We're gonna have a way to share that. Uh, you can also just you know, write it on a note card and stick it on your mirror. You can type it out and, and print it out and put it on your desk this week. But I want you to dwell on this passage and I want you to let it do its work inside of you. And here's what it says. Paul writes, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Therefore there is now no No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus paid it all. He rose from the tomb to prove that he is the supreme king of kings that holds victory for you and it's the victory of forgiveness secured, a clear conscience, no condemnation. And I want you to walk in that victory this week. So take that verse, print it out, write it out, put it somewhere where you can see it, share it online and tattoo it on your heart, dwell on it this week. And may we be people who live from the peace that only comes from the forgiveness secured by the empty tomb of Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin churchorg